Today on the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, we're going to be speaking with Gabe Larson, VP of Inside Sales Labs and host of the Playmaker podcast about sales cadences. What are they? How they should be structured for optimal effectiveness? And of course, why most people are getting them wrong. We'll also spend some time talking about sales innovation and how Inside Sales has set up the Labs program to stay at the forefront of sales evolution. Listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Gabe, thank you very much for taking the time and welcome to the show. Oh man, I'm excited. I love the topic and uh, I'm excited to be with you guys. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan and I love talking sales. <laughs> yeah, it's our bread and butter. So it, of course, we're excited to talk about it. But before we jump in, first question, and I'll, I'll be right up front. I stole this from you off of the Playmaker. Ask a question that's a little off track, but uh, let's talk about a defining moment in your life or career that uh, kind of changed trajectory for you or is a lesson you learned that you keep coming back to. What was it and what lessons you take away from it? Yeah, you know, it's comfort zone, man. Um, uh, when was it? Maybe seven years ago, six years ago, I took a took a role in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, of all places. Whoa. You know, I was the only employee. They wanted me to start an office out there, and my wife just said, "What the hell are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> um, and I didn't know if I should be doing it, but it it was game changing. Um, not only to get the international experience, I got to set up the office. I ended up working on a on the Toyota account. It led to uh, multiple promotions. I came back to the states, but you know, one decision of getting out of your comfort zone, um, I think, can make all the difference. And you tie that back to sales. It's just. Every day I would challenge somebody, make do one thing that pushes you out of your comfort zone. Post an article on LinkedIn if you've never done it. You know, do a cold call and don't even do any research and see if you can just do it. <laughs> I mean, do something crazy. <laughs> Maybe the cold call's not crazy, but you know, do something that pushes you because I'm telling you it'll pay dividends in the end. Excellent. Yeah. And we see a lot of sales reps get stuck in their, in their ruts. Right. And so I'm curious, uh, let's talk about cadences. Let's start with a definition because I, we're hearing it a lot, right? We hear a lot of people talk about it. They throw it around. Um, I'm curious how, you know, you, I, I look at inside sales and what you guys are doing is one of the leaders in this. And so how do you guys define cadences? Yeah, well, that was the problem, right? I mean, we're, we're I'm sitting back here and, and it's part of my job, right? We it's called inside sales labs. A lot of people are saying, you know, do you got white coats? You got <laughs> lab assistants and some rats in there and it's all funny but none true um i mean it's our research and best practice so i'm the guy who gets to go to the clients and steal their secrets and bring them back and we do a research report you know once a month chad and i had a blast doing it but we took a step back and all this buzz around outreach strategies or sales cadence and and, and we started pushing buttons on people i mean just everyone's i mean no, everyone kind of looked at it slightly different, although there was a lot of overlap. So we took a step back and said, what if we didn't do a survey? What if we actually went into our data, our pot of data? Now at Insight Sales, we have what we call this neuralytics data, big data set. We've got 100 billion sales interactions, and my team plays in it daily. Nice. <laughs> a, weird, a, weird, a weird visual of playing in the data, but go with it for a minute, right? <laughs> but long story short, we just picked and said, why don't we look at about 9,000 companies, and we'll look at 14,000 cadences. Um, and we'll see if we can basically break the DNA of a cadence up 
but also come to a definition. And I got to tell you, we went through probably, I don't know, 50 iterations of a definition. I know that's a little bit long, but our definition is a sequence of activities to increase contact and qualification. And now I know it sounds simple. Hopefully it sounds simple. <laughs> I could probably spend 20 minutes and I'll just spend 30 seconds, but uh, guys, a cadence is a sequence of activities to increase contact and qualification. A sequence means it's data-driven. It's not something we just whip up. When it comes to sequence of activities, there's actually six activities that can be included in a cadence. It's not just phone and social. It's phone and text message and voicemail and email and social and high-impact mailers. High-impact mailers coming online very quickly. Now, a lot of people say cadence is just about contact rates, but if you do it right you can also educate your buyer and thus the idea of increasing both contact and qualification. I know long answer, Chad, but some, there, there was some thought behind that. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's, it's excellent. I mean, because we do, we see it. I mean, and actually you see that term getting used in, uh, is it, is it out, outreach.io, I think calls what, what they put together as cadences. So there's a lot of confusion. So clearing that up as a kind of a base point, I think is, is a great starting point. But when you, you know, if you, if you take all those things that you mentioned, is it something that a sales rep as an individual can do, or is it something that should be more organizational at the organizational level? Uh, in terms of those development of the cadences? Yeah, you know, I believe we are seeing this evolution of sales where, um, uh, and that's the, this idea of kind of playmaker, where you're almost the CEO of your own territory. <laughs> I, I do believe in the future you're going to see more sales reps, even sales development reps, um, managing potentially like Facebook ad spend, you know, certainly sending mailers or door openers. I mean, th there is this idea that you've got to own it because, you know, whether you like it or not, it's your territory. So <laughs> I, a lot of organizations want to mandate this, but truthfully, sales reps, they do it and they need to know how to own it. Well, do you see that? I mean, cadences too, I think, um, at least for me, I, I know myself, thank you, psychotherapist, a little bit probably better than most people out there, but um, it, a lot of the cadences that I run uh, also take into account me as a person, like my, like my personality, what I bring to the table, because I don't want any part of that cadence, whether it be a mailer or the messaging in an article that goes out or something like that, to create this false impression. And then you get on the phone and you're like, wait a minute, you're, you're a foul mouth Harley riding guy? Like, wait, that's not what I thought I was getting, right? Yeah. So do those cadences have to be, um, are they better and more powerful if they're more personalized to the person actually executing them? Yeah, I mean, one line for you. Personalization always trumps automation. I mean, this is the scary world we're living in um, where, look, my, my company sells some of these tools, so I got <laughs> to be a little bit careful myself. But, you know, these these reps, we want to become email marketers. Um, and so we, we put together these canned spams, you know, email templates, and they send out on periodic dates, and they're just generic templates. And there's a place for it, don't get me wrong, but... I, there's a balance of personalization and automation. If you're not careful, uh, they say the average person's getting 121 emails a day. Now, you you got to stand out, and personalization should always trump automation. Oh yeah, without a doubt, the personalization and it takes. The thing I love hearing is, well, but it takes time. Well, yeah. duh, it's sales. All right, if yes. you're doing the job, it takes time to do it and to do it right, especially to capture attention of people that you don't know. Amen. Amen to that. So, okay. So let's see. Um, you guys just published a recent study. You mentioned doing a monthly, uh, but you guys identified five key components of a cadence. And I'm wondering if you could help our audience understand those um, and how you guys settled on those five. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of the part two of the, 
the study, right? So again, we looked at about 9,000 companies and actually you'll see, we actually, um, we looked at the Fortune 100. We didn't get all Fortune 500, but we wanted to see what some of the best in class are doing. And so um, part two of the study that's coming out uh, first thing next week is just what the cadences of the Fortune 100 were. But the, the long and short, we looked at 9,000 companies and that was about, again, 14,000 audits. And the definition was just tightening the definition was one of our objectives. But the other, as I said, was really kind of coming up with what we say is the, the elements of a cadence or the DNA of a cadence. Because oftentimes people say, I, I got a cadence. I, I, I you know, I, I attempt them 10 times. That, that's, that's it, right? And, 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 and uh, truthfully, Chad, I'm like, I, I don't know. I mean, may, maybe that is a cadence. Maybe it's just, you know, hitting people with a couple different activities. But when we had the team and we got a handful of, of researchers, when they were trying to splice and dice it and figure out what is a cadence, they just these five pillars emerged and they've become kind of the foundation for how we help companies build and start thinking about a cadence. So those five pillars are attempts, just what we talked about. And that's going to be the total number of touches. Um, then you've got this concept of media methods used, and that is the media pattern used like phone, voicemail, email, social, some of the different things, and how you fit those together. Then you have duration. That's just going to be the first activity to the last activity. You know, how long do you actually do this thing? Um, then you have spacing. Now, some people are like, this is pretty detailed, but if we're talking about making money, it should be detailed, right? So right. number four was spacing, and that's just the average time gap between different attempts. So I, I call on day one, and then I email, or I call again on day three, or do I do day two? I mean, that's a big, you know, it's, it's pretty different. And then the last piece, and probably the X factor, was content. And that was we, we analyzed thousands and thousands of emails and thousands and thousands of voice messages um, to understand, okay, what is the content? Because you have attempts, media, duration, spacing, and content. And we really believe if you're serious about building the cadence, these are the five elements you're going to want to at least be thinking about to optimize because we found that there's bad practices and there's good practices when it comes to these five elements. Okay, so let's. I don't want to be respectful of time. I would love to dive into each of them, but I'm curious with with attempts, and, and maybe this is a little preview of what's coming out in the next report. But how, what's your research shown to be the optimal amount of attempts? Well, this was the interesting. I mean, you know, you could talk about it for a long time, but I'll try to make it short. But, uh, when it came to attempts, um, there was a real interesting thing that happened. Um, I looked, and I won't name names, but there was a study <laughs> done by a company, and they asked, how many attempts do you do on, on your typical lead? And the number came out to be 15.5. And so I assumed um, that, you know, that's what people say they do. That's what actually they do. Well, we found that it was quite a bit under what people <laughs> think they do. The average number of attempts per individual or per contact is 4.05. Now, that's 1.73 phone calls and 2.32 emails. So people are doing about four, but they believe they're doing about three times that, <laughs> which is funny. Now, the interesting thing is, though, I will say um, and this is kind of this interesting bias that's going on. When we ran the numbers to figure out best practice, best practice says it should be in the range of 10 to 15. So um, interesting that people think they're doing about 15. They're really doing four, but the data says they should be doing about 15. So kind of a weird <laughs> dynamic going on there with actual data. And again, this is not 
this is not theory or survey. This is actual behavioral data of, of you know real people doing real phone calls, et cetera, et cetera. Well, and it's it's interesting, right? People, I think, delude themselves a lot into, in, in terms of what they're doing. They'll tell you they're doing 15 because they don't want to have to pick up the phone. They don't want to have to draft another email, right? Well, so, and, you know, <laughs> the thing is when I like things on social, I like it, like, and I keep liking it. That, that that's Every time I do that, it counts for two. And so I can see how they got to the got got to the number of 15 sometimes so (laughs) (laughs) interesting okay so what about media is there a best practice combination of of text social email phone calls that you guys uncovered yeah so the mo the 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 typical um was actually most people just leading with email as you saw from the attempts you're almost doing double the number of emails that you are compared to phone calls so as you think about media most people led with a very heavy email-based cadence. And that's kind of what we talked about before. It's easier, it's simpler, I don't have to personalize, I can just kind of plug it into these tools and just run away with it. We found best practice to actually be that call voicemail email approach. Um, Now there's a little bit of art into how you design that, because again, if I'm doing a call voicemail email and I'm doing 10 to 15 touches, uh, certainly we'll talk about duration and spacing and how that works, but do I do a call first, an email first, a voicemail first? There's some intricacies there that where there's a little bit of art and science. And, and is it is there? Uh, do you see like do people actually return voicemails? Have you seen? I mean, I've always used it more of as a hey, I'm gonna uh, I'm so and so, you know, 15 seconds, and I'm gonna f- follow up with an email, Don't, not expecting them to actually dial me back. But did you did you see that to be true, or did, or did you see other things in the research? Yeah, you know, truthfully, we found um, a couple things on voicemail. Number one. Um, it is often best paired, meaning you're going to get better results. When I say better results, I mean responses as well as potentially additional contact or conversations if you pair it with an email. So kind of what you were you were just talking about. But one of the things we did want to figure out is, you know, is kind of like the voicemail um, dead concept. Uh, and we found two interesting things just real quick on voicemail. Number one, 42.8% of voicemails were over 30 seconds. Um, wow. So a lot of people leaving fairly long voice messages and that you know without getting into a lot of detail that's bad you want to be with voicemail you got to keep it pretty close to the the 18 to 30 second max max kind of number um but we still you know without again getting into a lot of detail a lot of people still using voice messages almost 50 percent of 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 cadences had a voice message so a lot of people saying it's dead or it's not um being utilized but but certainly that wouldn't be what we've seen again from kind of this general general market study now that does change um in fact the actual number 52.2 percent of phone calls had a voice message as we looked at different activities so a lot of voice messages being utilized kind of across the board excellent and so okay so now let's look at duration so you've got you know you got to do 10 to 15 touches what kind of time frame you spread that over for optimal results yeah, so the duration, again, this was another interesting one where when we looked at some of the industry data, um, most people said, yeah, you know, my average duration of my cadence is, is 20 days. I mean, I typically space my, you know, about 15 touches over 20 days. Well, people, again, I think we're kind of tricking themselves. We found the average duration <laughs> to be at 4.89 days, so just kind of a full business week if you will. So again, about four times, you know, quite a bit less than the 20 that they thought that they did. Very similar to the attempts though, best practice, put it more in that 14 to 21 range. So exactly like attempts, people believe they're doing something they're not, but they should be. Excellent. And then spacing. 
Yeah, to kind of final it up here. So spacing um, optimal was in that one to three range. You want to keep it a little bit shorter. There's something that we see in the data, this psycho, this psycho, um, uh, the psychology of, of of immediacy. You know, if we think about cadence of educating somebody, you run into a problem if you say I touch them one week and then I don't touch them for another two weeks. I mean, I can't remember what I did yesterday. Right. And so, because of this top of mind awareness and an educational aspect of cadence, you want to typically you you run a cadence again for a couple weeks and try to keep those touches fairly close to each other, a couple days between. Um, and then you stop it, and then, you, again, you can recycle it, and maybe a month or two later run another cadence. But these people, and I'm looking at the data right now, I mean, we had some people who they sent you know, one email one week, three weeks, two weeks later, another email, then a phone call two days later. It's like, whoa, what the like, – you know, it's like, you know, this guy's just shooting from the hip here. I assume it's a guy. I, 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 I do weird things like that. So, anyways, that's the spacing. And then lastly, I'll just finish on the content. Average prospecting email was sitting at 362 words. Now, that seems like a lot. But, again, you've got a lot of marketing help in there. Now, we really did take a lot of effort to eliminate a lot of marketing emails because marketing emails, if you take in all emails, that number jumps significantly. So, we really tried to push it team went through and spliced and diced to just get quote unquote more sales emails so 362 was the average and then 23 seconds average on the voice message across the board again a lot of voicemails over 30 seconds but on average it wasn't too bad and we found best practice to be different than that so under 300 words is where you want to keep those emails and under 30 seconds you want to keep those voicemails so that's kind of those five elements and where most of the market was and then where you should probably be considering you want to be if you want to follow more quote-unquote best practices excellent excellent and so i'm curious um what was the most surprising thing for you in that particular report that you came across yeah, I mean, I mean, the, I don't know. There wasn't too many surprising things. There was a couple moments of like, oh, finally we've got a definition, and finally I can say to somebody, you know, <laughs> I say when I say cadence, I, I kind of know what I'm talking about. But I would probably say the voicemail thing was the, um, you know, that 52.2 percent of people were using voice messages. That was probably because. I mean, I just get a lot of people saying voicemail's dead. Nobody's using voicemail. I don't use it. Nobody uses it. It's like, whoa, wow. I mean, more than half of people are using it on very, very frequently. Well, everybody's um, still saying um, cold calling's dead too. Picking up the phones. Dead. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. But the <laughs> other was, the, the, I think the biggest aha was what we kind of hit on with those, the perception versus the the actual reality. Again, I follow some of these companies who produce surveys of what people say and you know what people say are best practice and how people who do social selling you know say they sell more. But sometimes I always wonder, I'm like, God, it is survey research. It's based on what people believe. And so to see that there was such a difference between what people said on a survey and what people are actually doing, it just made me say, yikes, you know, we better. And, and, and we run surveys as part of our team. So you got you probably just need to take everything sometimes with a, with a grain of salt because that was just – it wasn't even close. I mean, we're talking miles. Duration of 20 days, really, it's four and a half days. I mean, wow, that, that's terrible. <laughs> not, not even close. Imagine your board sets a target of 20% revenue growth in 18 months. So something will have to change with your sales team. How do you beat your target? Value Prime Solutions can help ensure your managers and reps are leveraging a sales framework that focuses on value, not price. Don't assume you have it all figured out. Don't wait until it's too late. 
Visit valueprimesolutions.com and let them help. A little bit here and talk about inside sales. Um, I, I think I understand, although I'm probably wrong, what, what the labs portion of, of what your guys' business is doing, how it operates and stuff. But I'd love for our audience to understand how that kind of plays in the marketing and sales structure at Inside Sales in and of itself, right? That innovation, the data uh, constantly improving. I'm curious how you guys are structured and, and how where the mission for it came from. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, we, we, um, so... <laughs> Um, it was part of part of my my, my thought process, um, and from a structural standpoint, it does just stand on its own. You know, we read Clayton Christensen's um, kind of his his concept on disruption, right? I'm, I'm sure you're familiar yep. somewhat yep. with Clayton Christensen, and you know, he talks about often seeing companies um, go through this transition where they want to start focusing on the enterprise. And if you're in the tech space and you don't know the buzzword about you got to be getting enterprise deals, then you're you're not in the tech space. I mean, everybody wants <laughs> the more profitable enterprise deals. And um, but he talks about in that doc, you know, in his piece that as you move to the enterprise to more profitability, then ankle biters, you know, start to come <laughs> and they they start to take your SMB and, and mid market business. And um, and he said the only way to solve, the only way to not lose that kind of market dominance is to actually set up another entity outside of its own with almost its full marketing and sales and, and, and other department to kind of make sure that you stay ahead of the game and you don't get quote unquote disrupted. <laughs> and so, so truthfully, the executive leaders, you know, we sat down and said, guys, how do we make sure that we stay on top of the game? And so lab sits right. I report right into the executive team, into the founder and We've got just a handful of people. We don't. I mean, I, I participate with marketing. I participate with sales, but we have a different office, um, and and we run it as a true innovation lab. So, um, we we look for the hottest companies and try to investigate and do those. Again, we do a research report once a month. We look at our hundred billion sales interactions, and then we run experiments. So, I work. Um, we we work with our own sales team and with our customers to run actual quote-unquote experiments to see what is working. So we talked a little bit about high-impact mailers. That's one of the things that's been on our mind lately because it's such a trend that's hitting the space. And so um, the problem with high-impact mailers is not all gifts are treated equal. And there's actually five levels of high-impact mailers that people aren't aware of. You can do handwritten note cards all the way up to customized gifts, but there's a variety of impact and personalization and cost associated with that. So we want to help define that. And, and to do that, we felt like we needed to kind of follow follow Clayton Christensen and get a slightly different group that is kind of that quote unquote innovation think tank kind of lab entity and it is so fun. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I just get a, I just get a, you know dink around and, and 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 tinker with different things and check out and kind of stay up on the latest and I love it. It's been a blast. Yeah, the innovation side of stuff has always been uh, amazing to me. I spent the last ten years working with companies on their innovation labs and, and things of that nature. So it's nice to see it actually in the sales space. Oh, it's not something you see a lot, right? I mean, when we were working with, uh, I did some work with Minnesota Vikings and they were. Getting ready to build a big mixed use uh, new headquarters training facility, all of this stuff. And Todd Kaflish was the CTO at the time, and we started talking about how they were going to create an innovation lab because, interestingly enough, they're a football team. Now, once you see me, you would think, wow, you should be a football guy. I'm totally not a football guy, but but I'm as big as Todd, right? 6'2, 260 pounds. And Todd and I were talking, and he's like, look, he goes, our goal is not to be the best football team in the NFL. Our goal is to be a business that has happens to own a football team. And in order to do that, they were going to have some pretty serious cultural uh, changes that they had to do. So we started talking about innovation labs. 
setting them up outside totally makes sense. I'm curious how you guys actually take those learnings and roll them back into the operations of, of inside sales. Have you, is there some formalized process that you do there or is it just kind of more, you know, organic? Yeah. You know, we actually created a new, um, I appreciate you saying you don't see it in sales very often. Cause I feel like when I'm, I'm the guy in the room and I say, I'm like from inside sales labs, you know, I, like I said, I get these, these, these kind of dirty jokes, and <laughs> weird things, you know, and it's like, yeah, I mean, I've seriously heard it a thousand times, but, um, so nobody gets it. Um, you know, if I say I'm part of marketing and I'm part of like content, they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, I get it. But it's, it's not, it's not really that. Um, cause again, it's got these multiple prongs, but one of the main ideas that we've kind of reincorporated is we do believe that the, the, the world of sales in a lot of cases is over specialized. Um, and you've got into this siloed approach where, you know, we went so specialized with, with, you know, lead researchers and sales development reps, and SMB reps, and mid-market reps and enterprise reps and film reps and sales operators. And, you know, it's like, wow, okay. We, we got really specialized, created a lot of silos. So we brought it back in house and created what we call a growth team. And that growth team is more centralized. So it's more focused around, um, a, you know, think of it like a more segmentation where marketing, a sales, a customer success, and an innovation or a labs person all report into one individual. Um, and, and we look at it more like that. And so, uh, and a product person fits into that, et cetera. So this growth team is, um, is a slightly different structure. And with one of my team participating in that, we look at, um, think of it like we look at mid-market more holistically, um, you know, not how sales runs and how marketing runs, but it's how the growth team runs and the growth right. team oversees all of our quote unquote, you know, mid-market business, for example. So I'd probably say that's the biggest difference is I do a weekly operations meeting and then a monthly governance meeting and I've got all my peers across the different entities. And so, um, more so than ever, the communication just flows because all my learnings, my product team, I was just on this this meeting this morning with my product team because I had done a podcast with a very hot company. Um, and so I brought it up in the meeting and they said, we're thinking about integrating that. So we jumped on and that'll potentially be an integration partner. So I lead out on that and bring it to the product. So, But it fits into this growth model of a weekly operations and then a monthly governance meeting with all kind of the heads of statement. It's been very effective as far as communication. It's a it's a fascinating approach to me, right? Because like I said, you, you don't see it a lot in sales, right? But that concept of innovation, I see a lot of companies uh, have a tendency to want to bring in outside expertise, right? And that's and that's great. I mean, I get that. I just I just spoke to the CMO of, of uh, the AOPA who used to work at Harley, and he's he's all about bringing everything in house, right? He wants everything yeah. in house. But on sales, I don't, is it just that we're too skeptical? I mean, I, what is it about salespeople that that when you know you said you get those jokes when you walk into the room and the minute you bring up innovation, their eyes kind of roll back in their head, right? And you've got to worry if you've got to call 911 or something. I'm just kind of curious, why, why do you think that is? Like, I don't you know. We're still, yeah, I mean, having done it now for, I, I've only done it for a year. Um, you know, I've worn a couple different hats here inside sales, but the truth of it is we're still going through kind of that um, crossing the chasm motion of, of, subjective gut driven field sales where it was kind of like, Hey, let's go on the golf course, smoke stogies and shake hands, you know, <laughs> kind of that model to this model that I think people see, but they just can't really grasp it because AI and data is, is a buzzword, but they've not seen it. They've seen it in Netflix. They've seen it in Google maps, but they've not seen it in the work. We did a big AI study and people are thinking about it, but they're not grasping it. And so 
we're preaching in sales a new world, a new opportunity that says, truly think Iron Man, that, that you are encapsulated. You still drive it. I, I, don't, we, I won't ever believe that sales will be replaced by machines, but I do see um, very much it's happening in small areas, the Iron Man approach where I've got a system and I become a super salesperson. Um, and so you're just getting, and I don't mean to knock the, the you know, a, a generation, you know, potentially a little older, but as, as we move and we get more millennials <laughs> in leadership, I better be careful. We get more millennials in the leadership. I think you'll see more of an acceptance because it's going there. But what we are saying is that the old way of doing sales subjectively isn't going to work. And we're, pre- we're preaching a labs and experimentation. I mean, A-B split testing for sales. If I say that in a room of salespeople, they say, what the hell are you talking about? And I'm saying, what the hell are you doing? You right. I mean? You've got to be running your own experiments. And if you're not using data and you're not being having technology enable you. So, I mean, to me, Chad, that, that's it. It's, it's the old way versus the new way. And you're seeing kind of this, this change of the guard here. Yeah. So, it's interesting to me the the you know adoption of technology or lack of adoption of technology from some sales reps. I like that Iron Man analogy. I'll probably steal that too, but I'll give you credit for it. But I'll probably oh, steal and, it. And don't you know you don't have to. Iron Man, it's a good movie. Just go with it. But one of the things you said about you know you've you've seen too much specialization. You guys have, have kind of identified this, and I've spent a lot of time talking to clients about okay, well I got my SDR team that does this, and I got my BDR team that does this, and I got my account Managers, my count reps. Um, in large scale organizations, why do you think that is the that's kind of become the de facto? Is it? I originally thought it was because they needed a career path for guys that got out of school that didn't have sales experience. We'll, we'll put them in an SDR role, make them smile and dial and and burn it up. But I'm curious if maybe you think there's another reason why they tried to go down that path because to me it seems very segmented and a lot of handoff points. As you you know, if you have an SDR who gets a meeting and then you have to hand it off to somebody else to qualify and somebody else to actually you're breaking the chain of that relationship. And I think as more people are focused on that total sales experience, the experiences that they're having, that gets dangerous. And I'm kind of yeah. curious what you think of why, why the specialization happened in the first place and how, how do they go back to an, an Ironman approach? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think you just saw, again, you've got to watch the spectrum kind of go back and forth. Um, so I think we started again as this generalist model. I mean, you know, you've got these kind of field sales reps and they were just doing basically everything. And that was, you know, a lot of people want to say that was a hundred years ago, but I think it was more like 20, <laughs> you know, 20 to 30. So, um, but you, you saw that true generalist model. And I think when we started to see the advantage of this specialized model, I think we went the other way. And I think sales, it's certainly in the tech space, Salesforce let out on that. Right. Um, they just said, oh my goodness, we can go. <laughs> they just specialized everything. You talk, you know, we hired a lot of Salesforce leaders at Inside Sales. And uh, without naming names, certainly one of the things most of them would tell you is that they they actually identified that one of the things they'd gone too far on was you know potentially especially created too many silos and again this is maybe more based on their opinion than data I'm not sure but um, so I think what you're finding now is just just a, a course a natural correction we we were too far one way now we've gone too far another way now we're trying to find this generalized specialist model is kind of what we've been referring to it as you know I mean you still want to have some of that in there but you've got to find a way to kind of have people know 
about more things around them so that you can find this balance. I, I, I won't go to the place and say we got to go back, but we've got to find a way to, to merge the two two extremes together. A little bit, yeah, a little bit more towards the middle. I mean, that, again, that, that Iron Man analogy, I mean, technology enables so much, but at the heart of it, you're still, you still have to find a way to get to that human connection, right? Well, well people man, the, people. yeah, the thing that the Iron Man thing, I think you're going to see that come on real interesting because part of the problem we've run into is, uh, you know, CRM in general, right? A lot of studies showing that CRM usage is going down. Why? Because it's not really enabling, you know, we're giving, right. we're not getting. The problem is you got all these technologies being built on, on C- CRM that are giving, but they're, they're also siloed that, that they're not. And in a lot of cases, they're actually decreasing sales productivity. All of them say they're sales accelerators. I know, I'm not <laughs> but they're actually sales decelerators in a lot of instances. And we, we probably need to get off the air on <laughs> But anyway, I think you're going to see a big trend more to the individual, right? Think um, sports science where a sales rep, you know, a, a LeBron James can go about his work week. His, you know, he can go into a game and he's got sensors on him and we're still tracking all his shot and his velocity and his modeling. But all that stuff can be fed back to him almost real time. There's a basketball now that exists that has data sensors on it. That can real time tell you if your you know your shot process and form is correct. That's the kind of play. That's the Iron Man. Right now we're too focused on the systems. It's the shiny object, CRM and sales acceleration technology. We got to get back to the individual and enable them and do it in a way that's not disruptive. Because right now I'm telling you, go ask how many sales reps love using CRM. You're gonna see big fat zero. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I generalize. I'm being a little facetious, but oh, I, I know you're this. right. Empower the individual rather than focus so much on these. I mean, we talked about it automating emails, and it's like, come on, Iron Man, Jarvis, a suit that supports versus. I don't know, you know, this, it's just, it, we got to get more Iron Man. And I think you'll see that. I think it, you'll see. That. Yeah. I've never met. And when I was an individual contributor back in the day and when I ran teams and built them, I've never seen a sales rep willingly adopt a technology that got in their way, right. right? That made it harder for them to sell. I, I, if I had a dollar for every time I said, Hey, have you updated your Salesforce forecast? I would be living on a beach somewhere, right? So true. <laughs> you know, look at a lot of the tools and insights that, you know, I think we fell into some of that trap too. I mean, I, I won't say we're perfect, but we did a big study where we went back to the users and said, you know, is our tool getting in your way? And truthfully, we had some strong feedback. So, we, you know, in the last two years, we released a full different suite of tools. It's a Chrome extension that follows the rep. And again, I don't want to say we're the, the beaming icon or something, but God, we've got to get, we've all got to make a concerted effort because I know, I mean, I'm on the road all the time and you talk to reps, it's not just Salesforce. A lot of these tools are like, yeah, it actually disrupts, you know, rather than supports. We, we got to find a way to just work. If you're a millennial, especially, you got to work in my day. I'm not. Right. I'm not going. Through, you got to work with me. So right. It'll be interesting, man. It'll be interesting. Yeah. We could talk about this for hours, but again, I want to be respectful of your time. I, I do sure. appreciate it. So two, two questions towards the end, we get, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you are, uh, as an executive, you're, you're a target. That means people want to sell to you. <laughs> you're a prospect. Sorry. Target's probably a little, uh, yeah, too aggressive. Like, uh, yeah, like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I don't have Tom Cruise to shoot me up. Mission impossible. Sal. No, <laughs> 
but there are people out there that want to, you know, that want to just spend time and see if you've got problems they can solve, so on and so forth. And I'm curious, you're in a very unique position, but I'm very curious when somebody approaches you and, they, and you don't know them, there's not a warm intro or whatever, what's the most effective way to get your attention? What do you find yourself responding to? Is it the voicemails, emails? What, what seems to work to get your attention and build credibility? Yeah, and well, this is almost across the board, and I've got some good data to back it up, but it is just value. It's value for value. Um, you have to now approach people um, and, and give them something. I mean, if you can get, if you can approach me and say, hey, I'll introduce you to um, a really cool company, um, a, a podcast guest. Um, um, I'll, you know, um, I've got some research that I want to share with you and I'll tailor it to your organization. You, you give me value. I don't care the channel. I actually do look at every single email that comes in. I got 162 emails yesterday. <laughs> um, I do look every night. I do go through every single email. And if there's something, and I've had people do it, I saw your podcast. Um, here's a great guest. I think I'd, I'd recommend to you. Wow. I listened to that value and I just highlighted three, you know, introduce it or give me a podcast or show me some research. And I'm not talking about research. I'm talking about research relevant to me, right. you know, to, to tech or, you know, if I'm telecom, that kind of value, I will give you value back. But it's now partnership is the new leadership. Right. So, uh. you, you know, you have got to you want to be a leader. You want to be a leader sales. You want to lead your team. You want to be a leader in your organization. You've got to find more partnerships. And so uh, people think I started the podcast um you know they're like oh you must have wanted to be you know some sort of thought leader and i'm like no i was just actually trying to sales you know <laughs> I was just a sales guy. Um, you know how effective it is to reach out to somebody and say i got ten thousand listeners a month on my podcast you want to be on you want to be on the podcast oh by the way we sell technology that's kick butt so right. i mean but i gave them value and in turn i deserve to have a con i i I've, I've earned the right. I've paid the price. Um, so I do believe partnership is, is the new leadership. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Last question. We call it our acceleration insight. So if you could think of one thing that you could tell sales or uh, marketing professionals that you think would make them more effective, hit their targets, uh, you know, achieve those big checks and those goals, what would it be and why? Yeah, man. It's, um, I mean, we use this as our motto, right? I've, I've kind of adopted this concept of playmakers and I say, you know, success is just one play away. Um, and what that means is it's, you know, when you think about sales, I, I love this concept of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit of an ex athlete. <laughs> I, got, I gotta be careful with that. Cause what I mean by that is I'm an ex high school athlete. <laughs> um, it's not college. It was high school, but I was good, man. I mean, don't get me, you know, I, I got all state, I got all state bells and whistles on my walls. <laughs> I tease a little bit, but in, in all seriousness, I got a little bit of a, a sports background the concept of plays and playbooks, you know, sales has got to stop shooting from the hip. You know, when you attack an enemy, when you attack an opponent, they come at you with this, you sure as hell better have a play. And so I, I love to see when people run a strategic outreach initiative that thinks about what's my strategy and my target audience and what do I have to offer? How do I give value to get it? What's my cadence and what are my results and what systems can I utilize? Then we actually run an outreach player campaign. That's the thing that I'm seeing is making the biggest difference in sales. When you think strategically about how you want to get somebody and you run a play rather than shoot from the hip, makes all the difference. Excellent. Excellent. I really appreciate the time today. If somebody wants to get copies of the latest studies from Inside Sales Labs, what's the best place to go? 
Yeah, you want to go to, you, you know, certainly, you know, check me out. If you ever want to have a conversation, you can grab me on LinkedIn. It's just Gabe Larson on LinkedIn. But um, hit the Sales Insider blog and you'll get the exact summary. If you want to go deeper, you can go to labs.insidesales.com. And that's where we highlight our our, uh, um, our experiments and some of our research. So between the Sales Insider blog and labs.insidesales.com, you find some good stuff. Excellent. And, and best way to get a hold of you, LinkedIn or email? It sounds like as long as they're providing value, you're open to any channel. Yeah, you know, I'm usually open to chat, um, um, but th- that that is the key. If you come at me with a relevant question or um, something that's intriguing, um, I'm always happy to, to have the conversation. And I love the play, truthfully, of just, hey, I wanted to ask you a question. I wanted to, um, you know, you approach me as uh, someone you're trying to learn from. I'm always happy to teach, but don't think you can take without giving. Right? Uh, so. Excellent. Excellent. Well, again, I can't thank you enough for the time today. It's been great having you on the show. Appreciate it, my man. And anytime I expect the return visit as well. So <laughs> you, you got it. You got it. All right, everybody. That does it for today's episode. If you haven't, please check out Gabe's podcast, Playmaker. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It is a phenomenal listen. Uh, it helps me get through the damn elliptical every morning. Uh, it's, it's, it's fun to listen to. Uh, check us out at uh, b2brevexec.com. Share the episode with friends, families, coworkers. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review. We do use those reviews to determine what guests to bring on for you. But until Until next time, we have Value Prime Solutions. Wish you and all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.